Greetings. Welcome to episode 48 of Third Heaven Authority podcast. I'm Mike Thompson. Today is part two in talking about covenants. Let me reiterate, the reason that I'm talking about covenants and about the New Testament covenant, the blood covenant, the new and the better and the eternal covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ is because it has so much to do with our understanding about third heaven authority. If you don't understand covenants, then uh, the enemy is going to try to talk you out of every sense of confidence that you have and tell you that because you do not know the will of God and what it is that God wants happening in your life, what he's provided for you and for others, then you're going to hold back. There's going to be a reticence. You're not going to be walking in faith. Therefore, you're not going to be walking in authority. You cannot pray for something um, effectively unless you know what your God-given rights are. Even if you are praying, you know, the Bible talks about a number of different kinds of prayer, and I won't get into them very deeply other than just as an analogy and illustration to share with you that in the different kinds of prayer, praying for others, praying for the sick, intercessory prayer for those that are lost, etc., it very much defines, the New Testament defines what God's will is in those areas. There is only one type of prayer mentioned in the New Testament, and it's only in two or three places, uh, that says that you're supposed to pray if it is God's will. And that is the areas of what we call dedication and consecration. That specific type of prayer, the Bible says that if you feel like you should go, maybe you want to move to another city or you want to change jobs, etc., and you're not sure whether that's God's will, pray for it. God will give you the wisdom what his will is in that specific situation because the Bible doesn't say what city you are supposed to live in. It doesn't say what uh, brand name of bread you're supposed to eat. So there are areas that we have to be led by the Spirit. But in the other major areas of our entire life, when I'm talking about healing, uh, rebuking the enemy, uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, people getting saved— so many covenant provisions, it's established. If we don't understand covenants, then what happens is we don't know that it's our covenant right. It's a provision, it's the will of God, and it's within the realm of our authority. Because it's in the covenant, then we have authority over it. And if Jesus said to uh, cast out demons, if he said heal the sick, He said, speak with new tongues. Any of those things, they're part of the covenant. We have authority in it. And so therefore we'll use it. We'll bind, we'll loose, we'll do everything that's necessary. So you can understand then why covenant understanding is so important for us. Now, there's an old covenant and a new covenant. The old covenant was not, or I should say, now the old covenant was an inferior covenant, and it ended. Why do we know that? Because Jesus came and established a new one, of course. But the scripture declares that the new one 
was a better covenant. It can't be better unless the other is inferior and needed to be removed so that the new could be in place in our lives. That's entirely important for us. We also understand from last week that without the shedding of blood, there can be no covenant. Jesus's blood was shed for us. Now listen to this scripture. This is in James chapter 5, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's a couple of themes there. As I establish this as the foundational scripture, there are so many good ones, but this just caught my attention. Is that first of all, is that it took the blood of Jesus to establish the everlasting covenant with God. And I'm going to go back to the ninth chapter of Hebrews and share a little more revelation about that blood in just a minute. So there is a new covenant, better covenant, everlasting covenant, established by the shedding of Jesus' blood. He was the Paschal Lamb. But even though he was the Paschal Lamb and it was his blood, it established a covenant between the Father and him, Jesus, the God-man. And it's within that covenant that we become in Christ recipients of that blood covenant. Oh, it's so exciting. Because it's between God and God, uh, it can't be stopped. You can't mess it up. It's eternal. But because it's between God and God-man, it allows us as people to get into it and participate in it. And then it says, that through the covenant, he makes you complete in every good work to do his will. So we are created in Christ Jesus under good and good works. Romans says, the apostle Paul, but to do his will. I've been camping on that. I've been hammering on that through these broadcasts is that when you know the will of God, and you're going to walk in authority because you know it's right and it's yours. So the covenant reveals to you what is yours and what is his will so that you can do those good things. He said, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. So he's working all of these things that he's commissioned in your life for you, but also for those around you so that you can lead them into the Lord Jesus' salvation and then walk in that. Now, in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, man, there's so much good. I'd just go through here and spend a couple of hours. Uh, <laughs> but let's hit the high spots. In the very first part of the chapter, he talks about the old covenant and the old sanctuary, the old way of worshiping God that was set up. And then he compares it with the New Testament and the new way of worshiping God in the way that it's set up for us. And he defines the blood 
He says here in verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. In other words, it had nothing to do with what people put together. Now, the old covenant was perfect in its day. It's exactly what God created, the tabernacle, all of that, even the establishing of the Mosaic law, which the scripture declares that the the law did not do away with the Abrahamic covenant. It just allowed people to walk in it until Jesus would come. The new covenant now, the law is passed away and the old covenant is no longer. All right? And the ways of the old covenant, the writer to the Hebrews said, are types and shadows figuratively showing us of the things that are in heaven. So as Abraham's covenant with God established the earthly, and because it was inferior, even though it was a mirror of what was in the spiritual realm and in heaven itself, all of it came to an end when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, went into Hades, rose on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then sent the Holy Spirit to us. It becomes the greater. Now, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves. That was inferior blood. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, talking about heaven, once and for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats in the old and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, not the spirit, under the old covenant, how much more shall the blood of Christ now in the new, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Purge your conscience, your spirit, your spiritual essence, and your connection with God. Now, here's the point. Life of the flesh is in the blood, the Old Testament says. Without shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins, the New Testament says. Listen to this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, it says in most Bibles, offer himself without spot to God because he didn't sin, purge your conscience. Now, here's the point. In the original language, in the Greek text here, the word the, is, which is a definite article in any language, it points to specifics. You can say to somebody, would you please bring me a cup? That's general. But if you say, please bring me the cup right there on that counter, it's specific. In the Greek text, the word the, the definite article, is not there. It's added at the hands of the translators. Now, it's, don't misunderstand me. It's not that it's a mistake. It's an interpretation of what the Greek is saying. But there are other interpretations 
that end up at the exact same place, just with a little bit different revelation. There is, among Greek scholars, Bible translators, a discussion about this text as to whether or not it is that it says that how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit. When you see the, the definite article, then it is talking about the Holy Spirit, usually in the New Testament. So is his blood through the eternal Holy Spirit offering himself? It took the ability of the Holy Spirit to do it. But there's a second, and of the second I subscribe to myself, is that it's saying that Jesus, who through, remove the definite article, the, but just who through eternal spirit, through his eternal spirit, through his God nature, the blood was of his man nature, coupled with his spirit of his eternal nature, empowering that blood, offered himself without spot to God. Whichever translation that you want to go with that um, is your choice. But I firmly believe, I'm totally convinced with a host of scholars that it was Jesus coupling his physical blood with his eternal spirit, the wholeness of who he was, the wholeness of his sacrifice. And of course, it took the power of the Holy Spirit working through him on this. But the reason that I consider that very important is because it shows us that this new covenant with his blood is eternal in the heavens, crying out redemption and salvation and victory for us. It's as if in the spiritual realm that we could hear from the throne of grace his blood eternally by his spirit crying out and bringing justice and righteousness and the glory of God into our lives. We must put that kind of faith in his covenant and what his blood can do. When we talk about authority, I've said this many times throughout the podcast, is that the authority is in the name of Jesus. But the reason it's in the name of Jesus is because of the sacrifice of his blood empowered by his spirit. The blood purchased our redemption. The blood enables our redemption. The blood vindicates us, and the blood establishes a permanence of all of the rights of the covenant so that the name of Jesus can reach into that with authority and demand and bring it to pass in our lives. That perspective then, coming from the throne of heaven, looking down as Jesus is on that throne, and the blood and the covenant represents all of who he is and all of what he has done for us, 
establishes the basis then to look at the New Testament and to receive every one of those covenant blessings as something that we in the Spirit can go after, claim, demand, and receive in our lives because it is His will. I think a quite revealing scripture story in the New Testament is the story about the daughter of Abraham. In Luke 13, you can read it sometime, 10 through 17. I'm not going to read that right now. But what happens is that Jesus confronts a spirit of infirmity and a spirit of religiosity on the same day. The religiosity and the people that were around and in the and in the woman who was infirm at the time because of what she had been told, but also um, confronting that infirmity and healing her because of it. And when she comes to Jesus, then Jesus said, Ought not this daughter of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity or this bond that has taken hold of her. Ought not. Now, why did he say that? He wasn't just saying, shouldn't she because she's a Jew? What did that mean? It was because of the covenant. Now, this was preceding his death, even though it was in the New Testament Gospels. It was still operating under the old covenant. He was saying, why are you still sick? Why is this happening to you? Don't you have a covenant with God? Why is it that the priests and all the people around you just allow this to happen? Shouldn't you be delivered from this because you are a daughter of Abraham? Because you are in covenant with him. And then he loosed her. He laid his hands on her and she was healed. Isn't that remarkable? Now, my point in bringing that up is if that was the power of the old covenant, Can you imagine the power of the new covenant that you walk in? It's so tremendous. That's where your authority lies. Now, I promised you I would also talk about a few things that are provisions of the covenant. And man, I can tell you the exceeding great and precious promises. Listen to this for a moment. I'll get into them and, and outline a few of them. There are so many of them that it's just impossible for me to go through and and articulate and define each and every one of those aspects. But at least we'll cover the basics so that you can see how this all applies. Uh, But before I do that, realize that these are rights that are yours. It's God's will because of the covenant, and you can take authority in it. Let's just talk about a few of them. Did you know that in the covenant, your salvation is sure? Romans 10, 9, and 10. You can read those scriptures. Again, I don't have time other than to just explain and go through some of these to help you out. We can be encouraged by this. Salvation. Now, salvation is how you get into the covenant, okay? It's by receiving Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, believing in your heart and confessing with mouth. But my point is this. If you do that, God is not in heaven. Jesus is not sitting on the throne trying to figure out whether to let you in. It's a right. You come in. If you accept him, 
He cannot keep you out. First place, he wouldn't want to. He wants you to get saved. But I'm addressing religious thinking that comes into people with doubt and unbelief. Well, if, if I try to get saved, maybe he'll reject me. He can't reject you. It's the way into the covenant. He has already sealed it with his blood. He accepts you. Number two is deliverance. In Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13, we become completely delivered. We have a promise in the covenant to be delivered from everything that we are bound up in, just like I was talking about that daughter of Abraham. Those things that bind us, those things that control us, we're promised deliverance. It's not a if God wants. The promise is sure. Promise, remember, is not a thing because God is not a man. It is not like man think and treat. So sometimes we have this attitude. Well, God promised. It's kind of like Joe down the street promised he'd let me borrow his lawnmower this weekend, and then he went out of town, and I didn't get it. God never goes out of town. A promise from God is a covenant provision, a covenant right, and an absolute period. The only reason it's stated, or I should say a major reason it's stated as a promise in the Bible is because it's a promise from God. And the scripture declares that there is none greater than God that he can swear by. So he swears by himself As for him, he establishes covenant from himself. He makes the promises by who he is as God that he will keep it. So a promise is an eternal absolute that cannot fail as long as we're in covenant and putting faith in the rights of it. The word salvation uh, is the Greek term soteria. And saved is sozo. And those two words not only mean, but are worked out in various scriptures throughout the Bible that mean deliverance, divine health, and continued protection, spiritually, mentally, physically, relationally, socially, and financially. It's a spiritual umbrella of covering. They're all part of the covenant. Okay, a third one, which is still in that category, is the new birth. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. New creation in the new birth. So we are promised we are new creations. It's not that we're half-baked or anything else. We are new creations in him. It's a covenant right. The next one is righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have been made by the saving experience, his righteousness, his righteousness, not our own. Yes, the Bible in the Old Testament says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, but that's when you're trying to become righteous by works and outside of the way God planned it. If you've received Jesus, you're in this covenant, you're made his righteousness. Don't you tell Jesus that his righteousness is as filthy rags. What you do is you understand you are the righteousness of God. And the word righteousness there uh, literally means to be in right standing and right relationship with God now because of the covenant. So that you are a rightful receiver 
of everything that he has for you. Another one is, we have the right to the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit comes into us. We have the right for him to come in at that saving moment, but also then for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us, to empower us, to do all of these wonderful things in the kingdom. It's a right. It's not, well, if God's in a good mood today. No, it's a covenant right. The next one is healing, 1 Peter 2.24. I kind of covered that a little bit last week, is that healing is a right. Uh, Every time that Jesus preached, you go through the Gospels and then look at the writings like in Acts and and of the uh, New Testament figures that wrote the letters, etc., and you see that every time that Jesus preached the gospel, which he trained, every time his apostles went out and shared the good news and taught the word of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they healed the people. It happened every time. Healing was connected with the preaching of the gospel, with salvation. Healing is a covenant right. Somebody asked me uh, just the other day, they were talking about how that, uh, well, sometimes they hear people even like me, you know, the Lord spoke to me last week about how that he was putting a spot of leprosy on those political and societal leaders in the United States uh, who were anti-Christ. And so they, they, they made this statement, well, then God's afflicting them with leprosy, then how come you say that healing, or excuse me, that sickness doesn't come from God? Two things. Number one, God never inflicts his people, his covenant children with sickness to teach them anything, to afflict them, cause problems. He does it by his word, by the Holy Spirit, He works on us, and he convicts, and he handles things in our life. Now, a lot of times, people who are born again experience the consequences in the natural realm of their behaviors, but it's not God putting it on them, and they will get ill. Somebody in promiscuous sex could end up with a sexually transmitted disease. It's not God punishing them for the sin, he wants them to repent, but it's the consequences of their action. Now, here's the point. God is not above causing these things to come upon those who are persecuting the church. God afflicted Paul with blindness when he was persecuting the church. Then he got saved And God healed him of every infirmity from that point on. All right? I don't want to get into that anymore, but I hope that you get the point. Here's another one. Mental soundness, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has promised, part of the covenant, mental soundness, peace, security, the mind of Christ. Here's another one. Financial prosperity, 2 Corinthians 8 9. God has promised 
he'll help you with your finances. He didn't create the earth and all of its wealth for the devil's kids. He created it for his, his covenant people. The covenant is there for you. And the more you understand the covenant and the established foundational rights of the covenant, then the more confidence and boldness you have in walking in third heaven authority. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray. I pray for the people that are out there and in their relationship with you, Lord, that you reveal these things. Lord Jesus, Savior, Paschal Lamb, your blood, your covenant, reveal it unto your people. Holy Spirit, empower it within them with revelation. I just pray for release of the anointing of God to come unto them and for covenant fulfillment to be there. Everything that I read and talked about today, plus all of what the New Testament, the New Covenant says is theirs. Bless them in your precious name. Join me in future episodes by subscribing to Third Heaven Authority with Mike Thompson on your favorite podcast platform. Walk in the covenant. Put faith in your covenant. And it will manifest Third Heaven Authority. God bless you.